Hi, I'm Doug Keck and welcome to The Catholic Sphere. You know, each week we tackle topics important to Catholics around the globe with a different host and a different focus. And this week our subject is in fact theology, the topic, the role of the laity in secular affairs. Today we are joined by author, philosopher, and mother, Carrie Gress. She joins us from Virginia. We also have an author and former secretary for the public affairs of the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, and that is Russell Shaw. He joins us from Maryland. And finally, we're joined by, as always, EW10's Vice President of Theology, Colin Donovan. He is with us in our theology studio, and welcome uh, to this august body. It's great to have both of you, Carrie Gress, Russell Shaw, and of course, Colin, with us talking about the laity. Well, let me ask you, uh, Russ, uh, you have been really have been involved with writing about the laity for a long time and the role of the laity in relation to the church post-Vatican II. And I have to always call out a wonderful book I read by yours called Ministry or Apostolate, which really talked about the differentiation between those two. Let me ask you first, why have you always been so interested in the role of the laity? Well, I have a personal interest in being a layman. <laughs> and. I, I think uh, a lot a lot of it in recent years comes from the fact that professionally speaking, I spent a long time working with clerics and almost without exception, they were all really good guys and I enjoyed working with them. But I began to realize that there were, what shall I say, built-in attention points between me as a layman and uh, them as, as priests, as members of the clergy, priests, bishops, sometimes archbishops and cardinals. I repeat, they were all great guys, but uh, there, was a, uh, there was a great gulf mm. between me and them uh, by reason of mm. uh, the difference in state and life, and the fact that they were ordained and I was just a simple layman. <laughs> well, I'm still a simple layman, but uh, I'd like to understand the relationship between the clerics and the, cler and the laity a bit better than uh, then we've been understanding it for some years now. Right. Now, Carrie, you're an author of multiple books, including the, the latest, greatest, a really powerful book, uh, End of Woman. Now, as, as, a, as a woman dealing from the lay perspective in relation to the church, you probably even have a, a different experience, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I think my experience in a lot of ways is formed by the culture because the church has taken on a lot of what the culture has said about women. And of course, you know, so many of us are confused about what that means. And, you know, as I talk about in my book, The End of Woman, one of the real struggles is that feminism has told women to actually be, be more like men. That was actually the question that it has been asking since the beginning is how do we make women more like men? So I think this is the real struggle is sort of sorting out what does it mean to be a woman? And how do we live that out in our in our lives as lay women in the church? And, you know, we have so many beautiful saints. We have so much beautiful writing about women. And so it's been a real great pleasure to actually dive into some of that and bring some of that back out for women to really start wondering, um, or living in wonder uh, about what it means to be a woman instead of um, feeling like we need to keep aping the, the virtues of, of the masculine. Right. It's interesting, too, Colin, because... Uh, as one article I read in relation to this, uh, considering we had done the show previously about the priesthood, it mentioned that the most pernicious and widespread form of clericalism in the church today is the irrepressible belief that the measure of a layperson is his or her proximity to clerical power. It continues to run rampant. It's an idea, unfortunately, spread mostly by many in the laity. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I, I think there is obviously, uh, as, as we all would express, there is great admiration for the clergy and for the work that they do. I think what is less clear since Vatican II, and it's not the fault of the Vatican II documents or uh, any of the magisterial teaching, mm -hmm. is recognizing that there is a necessary and essential distinctions between the apostolate of the clergy through holy orders, which is to form uh, the church in the likeness of Christ in holiness, and then in the case of the laity, our apostolate is then to the world in secular affairs and to, and to that. Yes, there are many things we can do uh, for the apostolate of the church in very particular ways, but generally that's not open to most laity. They're dealing with business colleagues, or maybe they're dealing with employees or their employer or with uh, the, you know, some other secular relationship in the political world. And so they must bring Christ to, uh, to those individuals, to the unchurched and the worldly, in a different way than the clergy does, trying to build up the church. Now, clergy obviously are called to evangelize the world. That was the admonition of Christ on the day of the ascension, to go forth, to teach, to sanctify, uh, and to govern. And they do that, but they do it in this process, forming the church. We do it in forming the world. Uh, uh, Carrie and myself are both parents. Russell, I don't, I don't know you. You probably had some children. We uh, we had to form those children for life in the world to have a Christian attitude to dealing with the problems they will encounter as as students, as business people, uh, as professors, whatever job that they do in the world. To to be have the the, the grace and equanimity and in, a, in to do that in a way which puts Christ forth in the secular world. So there's essential differences between the two, and there really is no reason for envy of the other, but that's a natural human fault, and so we have fallen right. into it, uh, I think, especially since Vatican II and the misunderstandings right. of what the church actually taught there. Right. Carrie, uh, to follow up on that, the idea of the role of the lady is essential for the ordering of culture. Why is mm -hmm. that your perspective? Yeah, no, I think this is one of these questions that we don't ask enough about is that the role that the lady plays in the culture, because, of course, you know, you look at a place like Europe and why do people love Europe? I, I've lived there several different times in different countries, and um, it's because of the, the influx of Catholic culture that has animated the architecture, the art, the, the order in the cities, all of those kinds of things. And uh, we don't really think of these things as aspects of our, our vocation as uh, laymen and women. And yet um, these are the, the beautiful treasures that the church has passed down to us. Um, and it doesn't have to be things on a grand scale. It can also just be ways in which we bring beauty into the world through products and commerce. Um, it can be in music and education, all of these these different ways, but we're gonna be able to reach out you know, much further than clergy can, um, just given the, the natural order in which the, the lady live. And um, with the other area I think that's important for us to be mindful of is also being patrons of these things. And that's historically been by the lady that has um, promoted the arts and architecture and uh, you know, all of these things that are part of our, our patrimony. Right, right. Support beauty, which has been a little bit lost in our world, I would think, too. Let me get back to you, Russ, on the idea, like I said, that book that really struck me, Ministry or Apostolate. What is the distinction between those two? Because it seems to me there's a lot of confusion among lay people about those two functions, thinking they're basically the same, but they're not. No, they're not. Uh, they're quite distinct. 
a little history would help a lot to shed a great deal of light on, on what the question you're asking. Let's go back to Vatican II again. We've been talking about Vatican II. It, it, Vatican II did a great thing for the idea and understanding of the lay apostolate, both the individual apostolate and the organized or group apostolate, mm -hmm. both encompassed in what Vatican II had to say. And it said that uh, the specific apostolate of the laity, whether individually or through group action, was to bring Christ and the gospel into sectors of society where they were not present, where Christ and the gospel were not present, but the laity were present. And to make, make, the, uh, make the presence of Christ living reality in the midst of the secular world. That is the essence of uh, the lay apostolate according to, uh, according to Vatican II. And the council wanted to make it clear and did make it clear, although we tend to forget it, that this apostolate of the laity did not come to the laity by reason of delegation or concession on the part of the clergy, that it was an intrinsic responsibility of lay people as a result of their baptism and uh, confirmation. In other words, the calling to lay apostolate comes to a lay person through his or her baptism and not in some other way. That was never, that had never been said with such authority and on such a level in the church until Vatican II and the Pope said it together. And several years after Vatican II though, something strange happened uh, as far as apostolate and ministry are concerned. Pope Paul VI published a document then on ministries. It was a good document and the Pope meant only the best for the church and for everybody concerned by the uh, issuance of this document on ministry. In it, he said that several, there were several ministries which lay people could perform. And he said those were in the ministries essentially of a liturgical nature, lector, Minister of Communion, mm -hmm. and a couple of others at that time, and, and some others have been added since. In fact, since uh, since that the, the issuance of that document on ministry by Pope Paul, there's been very little to nothing said about lay apostolate, the responsibility of lay people to bring Christ into the secular society, and almost all of the attention has gone to lay ministry. And uh, it's become a, a universal <laughs> expression to cover everything that lay people do, everything good that lay people do in the church. Mm -hmm. Ministry is something good that lay people do in the setting of the church, in their parish or in some other Catholic institution. Uh, as for lay apostolate, what's that? We don't hear anything about that anymore. All we do here is lay ministry. And the, the progress, if you will, the promotion of the Catholic laity is understood to come about by opening up to them more and more ministries, not by getting into the lay apostolate out there in the secular world, but rather by doing more and more in the context of the institutional hierarchical church. Right. With that being the case, I think sometimes when people think of an apostolate, they think like E.W. Tien or, you know, Father Mike Schmitz or somebody else, a big thing rather than just being an outreach that actually necessarily comes out even in the parish setting. One article I read said 
What is the role of the laity then? It's basically the simplest ways to be the ambassadors of Christ in the secular world. And the idea lay people should be plugged into the parish, diocesan life, sequently frequent reception of sacraments, faith formation, etc. Yet, after being nourished and strengthened by these, lay Catholics must go forth, as we're told at the end of the Mass, glorifying the Lord by our lives in the world. That's our true mission field. Carrie, do you think that that's what we, as lay people, get the general impression we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> you know, sadly, I don't. I think that um, the, the the reality is, is we cannot give what we don't have. And if we are not taking more of Christ into our life, we're not trying to be like John the Baptist and you know, we, we decrease and he increases, then we don't have Christ to give to others. I also think that we sort of have these, um, these boundaries that we've set where we think of the church as one place and our home as another place and the workplace as something else separately and none of them are meant to sort of overlap. There's There might be kind of a Venn diagram where they they touch on each other, but they're not really part of the same whole. And I, I think that that's one of the things that is a, a beautiful element of our faith is that it's not like it stops at the door when we walk into our workplace or our home or it only happens at church. And um, I, I think that's a really important realization that that Catholics need to have and needs to be conveyed is just how incumbent it is upon us to be continually gifting the faith to others. It's not meant just for us to have and to, to um, you know, right. sit on, but for us to, right. to actually gift mm -hmm. it and spread it with others. Right, absolutely. And certainly that's the work of E.W. Chan as a lay apostolate going out in, into the world and hopefully uh, catechizing Catholics so they feel that empowerment to spread the faith. Right, Colin? I mean, that's why you right. came to work here, right? Because it's an unparalleled opportunity, in my particular case, because Deacon Bill said, well, you can stay and, you know, and teach a class of, you know, 30 or 60 people, or you can come down to EWTN and teach millions. So eventually that becomes a very persuasive argument. But there's a certain, I, I think the, the difficulties often are because we have factions developed in the church that have agendas. Uh, and people aren't reading the notes and the, and, and the details of the Vatican documents or even the things that the popes have done since because the church's documents are very generally clear on the kinds of distinctions which are important. The distinction between the sacramental role of the priest in forming the church to be a holy nation, a, a, a people set apart. We all participate in that, as Russell said, through baptism. And so by baptism, we are priests, prophets, and kings, but after a different fashion than the clergy. Uh, we are priestly because we bring our, our children, our neighbors, our spouses, ourselves to participate in the liturgy. Prophetic because we are leaven in the world, the Second Vatican Council said, was the role of the laity to be a leaven. Scripture uses the term salt and other and other expressions to suggest that. So we we do that. But through baptism, yes, we can be have ministerial roles in the church. But even there, Paul VI was clear to, sh to distinguish between the minor orders such as uh, are, are a, a, a stage of preparation for priestly uh, diaconal and then priestly service and ministries which the laity can, can uh, perform, usually delegated by the bishop. So the acolyte and the lector as orders or ministries installed are distinct from the roles that most lay people have serving in parishes after the fashion of acolytes and lectors, altar servers and readers and so on. But these distinctions get lost because we use the same words for both and people start to think, well, it's just a 
you know, being invited as, as, a, as a married man or even as a woman at some future date as they envision it to fulfill these responsibilities of ministry in the ordained sense in the church because they've ignored all of the things the church has actually said beyond that which to them seems appropriate. Well, there really is no distinction. We can blur these lines mm -hmm. when the church herself does not actually blur them. Right, although there are many people post-Vatican II, I would say, right, Russell, who, who, who have blurted themselves in the idea of what the role of the priest actually is as, let's say, presider versus persona Christi. With lay people, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I always thought, you know, going to Catholic school, kind of like the bishop was the general, the priests were kind of like the officers, the nuns were the drill sergeants, and we were basically, you know, the army reserve. You know, we kind of, we lived our lives during the week and we got called up on Sunday, but basically after our Sunday maneuvers, that was really all we had to do. But there's really a much greater call for us as Catholics, isn't it? There is indeed. It's an all-the-time call. We're always on duty as far as the lay apostolate is concerned. It's perfectly true to say that uh, EWTN is an apostolate, a lay apostolate, largely, mm -hmm. and a very effective and powerful one. But, you know, not all of us can do EWTN all, all the time. But every lay person has many opportunities in uh, just the ordinary course of uh, living his or her lay life out there in the world. I live in, in circumstances where I, I spend a lot of time among uh, non-Catholics, lay people, and I find that many of them, knowing me to be a serious practicing Catholic, come to me with things they've read in the newspaper about the church or heard on television about the church, which one way or another put the church in a bad light. And they ask me, you know, in fact, is this true what you have mm -hmm. to say about this? And I take that as a great opportunity to do apostolate, to explain some element of Catholic belief and practice to honest people who don't, don't know the truth about mm -hmm. the Catholic Church and would like to, like to learn something. So I do my bit of apostolate uh, maybe over the dinner tape or the lunch tape or uh, in many different lay settings with many different good, honest, non-Catholic lay people. It's a very important apostolate and it's something I just do myself. And I think that uh, it's, it's important that every Catholic be, what shall I say, prepared both intellectually and in terms of motivation to handle those everyday opportunities for doing apostolate, which are going to come up inevitably and, and over and over again in your contacts with non-Catholics. Absolutely. And Carrie, you, you, you alluded to the idea of the home and how important the idea is you can't give away what you don't have and the, the importance yeah. of inculcating the faith into your family, mm -hmm. children, and having a lifestyle that reflects that, right? I think it's vitally important, partially because, you know, the home is called the domestic church, but why is it called that? If we look at the elements of the church and we look at the elements of the home, there's a lot of overlap. In philosophy, we call them the transcendentals, but I've massaged those for my own work in theology of home and really looking at, you know, if you go to church, um, light is important, safety, nourishment, comfort. You know, even at one point, the uh, congregation is fed the body of Christ, and the priest actually does the dishes at the end of Mass. I was thinking about this this morning um, at Mass, you know, watching the, the, the dishes be cleaned at the end of the Mass. And these are all things that happen at home, uh, you know, 
every day we moms and and people that care for their children are sense and feel the banality of it and yet this is also important because this is really forming souls it's forming the home it's you're bringing order to it you're nourishing safety all these things that you see in the church and you know i think there's something really powerful about the home especially when the home is being you know family is living out in the way that reflects this parallel with the church because we can't always get people to go to church with us, but it's much easier to get people to come have a meal at our home. Mm. And through that gift of hospitality for people to see, you know, there's something different about this family. There's something different about this home. I want more of whatever this is. And and I think that's one of the most incredible places of entry is to invite people into our home and let them see and feel and, and live the difference of, you know, what what the Catholic faith has to offer. Well, how do you react? I mean, obviously, where you live uh, is a very secular area. You obviously deal with uh, people like like Russ does in a, a non-Catholic, secular kind of world where, and as you talked about in your End of Woman book and some other books about, you know, dealing with like the feminist perspective where people inside the mm -hmm. church look, well, it's very patriarchal and women are not given mm -hmm. a fair shake and uh, the priesthood's not open, etc. How do you deal with people who say, well, how can you be so supportive and involved with a church that's mm -hmm. so anti-woman? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there's some basic questions to start sort of picking away at that argument. One of them is, of course, that we haven't seen women become happier through feminism. And I, I think that so many of us really realize women are very much focused on the richness of relationships. And this is something that's just fundamental to, to who we are and this this emphasis on it. And I think this is something that obviously the church has to offer, but it offers us more than that. It offers us a sense of motherhood. And I don't just use that word in a biological sense. It offers us both psychological and spiritual motherhood. And the church itself is called a, a mother. It, the building itself is referenced as a she in Romance languages. It's the nave, the main part of the church refers to a ship, which is another one of those female feminine words in foreign language in romance languages. So I think there are a lot of elements that people just never think about. They don't think about these aspects of what it means to be a woman again, because we've really idolized the masculine. And when you start framing it in, in this context and help people understand that we have to say something fundamentally about who we are, uh, we have to define ourselves. And the, the best and most basic way to do that is, is through motherhood. Again, not just limiting that to the biological and um, so we have the example of the church, we have the example of the saints, we have cloistered religious who are frequently called mother, and all of these kinds of things speak to something that I think people are very hungry for. And when you frame it in that way, instead of the typical flashpoints of, you know, left versus right kind of talking points, then people are much more open to it and, and can think of it um, without having kind of a knee-jerk reaction to it. Right. Russell, as a follow-up, because of somebody who kind of deals in the same milieu, and as you mentioned, many non-Catholics you deal with, how do you deal with, with, with that, where they kind of look at the, the church as, as being regressive and puritanical and holding back and not being open to women, etc.? For one thing, I try not to be defensive. I try to admit faults where there are real faults. And certainly when you look at the history of, the, as I said to one of my friends the other day when we were having this kind of conversation, you know, the Catholic Church has been around for 2,000 years. And in 2,000 years, just about anything can happen. And believe me, it has. So, so I don't... Uh, I don't apologize for the, the, the things which are wrong or have been wrong or which are d done poorly or done badly. But I also try to cor correct uh, things which are absolute mistakes when I 
what shall I say? It's, it's not, I, try, I try to distinguish between the church and its members, if you will, and make the point that the church is a good, sound, solid, immensely edifying and encouraging entity, which uh, was created by uh, created by Jesus Christ and is sustained by uh, now by the by the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're just partners partners with uh, with. Christ and the Holy Spirit in, in this thing called the church. So uh, one, one of the most important things we can do, I think, in forming the laity for apostolate is to form them well enough on church history and church doctrine to be able to speak intelligently, not to big audiences, but just to individual non-Catholics who come to them with problems, questions, what about this, what about, what's about the scandal, that scandal, this problem, that problem. I, I repeat, don't be defensive, don't deny that bad things have happened, if they have happened, but don't let mistakes in uh, in <laughs> recounting the, uh, the, the past, don't, don't, let, don't let mistakes and errors pass unchallenged and be ready to explain really what the church does positively teach and stand for uh, while admitting the mistakes that some of us have made and continue to make as individuals who fall far short of the ideal. Okay, we're almost out of time. Colin, I wanted to mention one article said we smother lay vocation when we express it in terms of the clerical. It goes go on to follow up with what Carrie said in a sense, in our own families, it would be unreasonable to expected all children to be exactly alike, alike. And hence, obviously, there's different ministries and different approaches people have. And recognizing the distinction between the roles of lay and clergy also helps us to understand the significance of each vocation. What's your advice to somebody who's trying to find out where they fit into their parish in a ministry or in a vocation way? Well, and it's not just within their parish, it's within, within the church. I think uh, in, in recent centuries, we've gotten more, uh, uh, more into the idea of what is the particular vocation of the laity. You can go back to Francis de Sales and, and sort of revising the monastic approach to lay sanctity by, in, you know, in his writings to, you know, to encourage a more uh, lay situational mm -hmm. uh, uh, approach to living. And there are many other apostolates since their Opus Dei with its, uh, you know, to form, form those who will be leaders in society and so on. But, but all of this gets down to the basic point that if we see ourselves before God, God is the one who has the, the right idea of what we are to be and where we are to go and where we are to work. So our discernment is not, well, I necessarily, I've got to be this or I've got to be that. My discernment should be, what does God have planned for me? What's mm -hmm. the vocation I'm being called to? Without any envy of the other vocations, I think a lot of people then will have vocational regrets and they'll go off, you know, be sad in the vocation that they've got because they have regrets about their decisions. No, if you proceed carefully, you will sort it out and God will lead you where you're meant to be. And I think that's the difficult part. Right. Yes, you do that with the guidance of a spiritual director or family member or wise people, Catholics that you know. Uh, but nonetheless, it is something that, right. the, that we do with God. And even the church recognizes that because the church is there, the bishop is there, the formator in the seminary is there to discern the truth of the vocation which the individual experiences. That's what, to Very confirm good. it or to say, 
I don't think you have. Well, well life does that for us. Right, and I regret that this show is too short. We are just out of time. We really appreciate you all joining us. Authors Carrie Gress and Russell Shaw, whose books are available through the EWTN Religious Catalog. Of course, Colin Donovan. And we do thank you for joining us. And don't forget to join us next week when our host will be Ryan Penny, right here on The Catholic Sphere. We'll see you next time.